Hello, and welcome to A Smart Financial Plan, where we interview the best and brightest in financial planning research on their studies and the best practices financial planners can use with their clients. Today, we're interviewing Dr. Preston Cherry at the University of Wisconsin. Dr. Cherry has conducted research on the Big Five behavioral characteristics and their impacts on decisions to mitigate risk, from risk of unexpected death to a decline in physical capabilities, illness, or injury. Dr. Cherry is a great researcher, and I think you'll enjoy his recommendations on how to better equip clients to manage the risk in their financial plans. Well, Dr. Cherry, thank you so much for being uh, with us here on the podcast today. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, what you're doing, and uh, what kind of research you've been up to? Mm, thank you, Daniel, for having me. This is this is fun. I, I see you're on the discussion boards a lot, so it's a pleasure to uh, finally to talk to you. So a little bit about myself. Um, I am at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay currently, and we are uh, starting our program. It's a it's official now. We just uh, attained our CFP board registered program approval as as of you know a couple of weeks ago. So that's exciting news. Congrats. And, yeah, thank you. Thank you. And we have a minor that's going to hit our catalogs this coming fall. So the uh, energy and the demand and the you know, an advisor and planner community here in Northwest, Northeast Wisconsin, and at the students uh, from our program. I mean, there's a lot of pent up demand for this type of program. And I'm telling you, I, I'm getting hit every which away of, uh, from, from interest and, and it's just great. So it's, it's good to be a part of the kind of like a solution or the progression um, of, the, of the profession in this area and amongst this community as well. So. Very nice. Well, and, and you, now you attended uh, Texas Tech for your doctorate, correct? Yes, so uh, back in 2006, I went to get my master's at, at Texas Tech. And then after that, I went out and worked in, you know, to the world of financial planning in many different aspects. Uh, I worked at a family office for a couple of years where I was co-manager of, of money at the firm level about to the tune of about $120 million. But we did financial planning there a, as well. And that was a great learning spot because you had to learn, you had to be a jack of all trades there, you know, at the administrative level, the, 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 the programs that were used, the different advice. I mean, it was just a lot. So it was, it was, a, it was a good learning experience. And then you know, I've been a wholesaler before, which helped me a lot having a financial planning background because um, I didn't have to wholesale, so to speak. I mean, I had to just go and meet the advisors and hear their stories. And they appreciated that I knew uh, kind of like the financial planning process and the ethics and the, and, the, and the way they go about serving their clients, which helped me a lot. So that really kept me in and around financial planning as well. Um, I've started my own virtual firm. Uh, financial planning firm. It's three years old. And um, I've also just finished the uh, PhD back at tech. So starting to take a master's and then circle back around what 10 years later, I started the PhD oh. and uh, finished it in four. So I finished that last year in personal financial planning. So and a, and a little another tidbit is that I was actually introduced to financial planning uh, at Texas Tech in my undergrad while I was at Prairie View in 2003, 2002, actually, a mentor told me about the program. And we took a trip, actually, to Texas Tech back in 2002. 
and that's when my first introduction to to tech and, and, and financial planning as a whole. So you're talking about 20 years of, you know, kind of like a cipher just rolling around and, and, it, and it got us to this point and talking about research with you. So, sure. well, so you, you've done a number of research projects, uh, but I believe today I, I wanted you to come on and chat a little bit about the research you completed as part of your dissertation uh, and some of the publications you're, you're working on that kind of have come from that project. So can you tell us what that was called and, and just sort of succinctly what that was about? Yeah, so the the research was part of my, uh, well, it is my, my dissertation and uh, hopefully I get to publish. I've submitted one, there's three uh, chapters uh, three papers, right? And I've, I've submitted one for publication, which is under review right now, and I will submit the other two. And uh, it's it centralizes around personality traits and their associations with uh, financial uncertainty, so to speak, uncertainty risks. And the three uncertainty risks were uh, longevity risk, which is you know, I've got a kind of annuities. That's what I used as my, you know, measuring variable there. And um, being too sick, you know, which is the end of life, long-term care and dying too early, you know, uncertainty of dying, which was life insurance ownership. And those were my variables that I wanted to try and, and investigate their associations with the big five personality traits. Sure. Now, what made that something you wanted to research across all the different things that you could possibly look at in financial planning? Well, it was interesting to me. First of all, I got the idea out of a hat. Uh, <laughs> that, was number, that was number one, uh, because I, I really didn't know what to research when I started my you know, P, academic journey. Right. So it was a topic that really was uh, it really fit me. So when I saw personality, I was like, oh, wow, okay, uh, I have a little bit of a personality. So that interests me and, and um, you know, just investigating different types of persons and um, how they associate and in, in, in different things, particularly, you know, personal finance. And it's, it's been looked at, um, you know, previously. And, and so there's, a, there's some established literature surrounding personality traits and, and personal finance and what domains do what better, you know, far as saving and spending and impulse buying and, and whatnot. So when I started uh, investigating this, this literature, I said, well, um, you know, why not uncertainty risks? You know, how, how do certain people or individuals uh, align or associate with different risks? And, it, it, and also given, given my background in, in practice, and in my strengths as a practitioner, um, it also said, okay, my strengths are connecting and communicating and convincing, which is kind of a not convincing to the to the detriment of a client or anything like that. So we are fiduciaries, but convincing it that in a way that they've already they've already shared our their goals with us, their needs and whatnot. So how does the planner? Uh, convince them to do what they already want to do, All right. But you already, but you have to connect and and communicate with them first. So those are the three C's that I kind of abide by, and this is what the research I was hoping tell us a little bit about, which is, you know, if the if certain personalities align with, you know, tend to align with certain things, okay, 
can we have common conversations with them? How do we connect with them if they do or don't align with these things? And how do we uh, create an environment where they do hear us or elevate them to what they already connect with in order to convince them to do what they already aspire to do? Sure. So. I mean, it's, I, I'm just thinking about all, all the tough conversations that you have as a financial planner and just sort of the, this, I guess sort of my experience has always been that the numbers never really seem to convince people, right? I mean, you can, you can come along and say, look, here's my Monte Carlo analysis. And it shows that if you need long-term care, when you turn 87, by the time you're 90, you're, you're going to be bankrupt. Um, you know, and, and so I would strongly recommend looking at and ensuring some of that risk. And, you know, the numbers make sense, uh, you know, particularly if this person tells us that they have long lives or conversely, if they have shorter lives and you're saying, look, life insurance probably makes a lot of sense with your family history. Um, but people don't adopt solutions purely off of the numbers or purely off of sort of the rational case study. So I, what were you seeing or maybe were you not seeing in the, the existing research or in your experience and practice that made, uh, made for kind of the decision to go forward on this research? Yeah, that's a, that's a great take on that, Daniel. Um, particularly, you know, the, yes, the proof is in the numbers, but the connection is not in the numbers. And, if, you know, individuals have to engage with their either their present selves or, or future selves. And actually that's a, a little bit of uh, kind of one of the, one of the personality traits is, you know, having an imagination, right? And it's an openness to new experience is one of them. So the ocean traits, right? You had openness, open, openness to new experience. You have conscientiousness, uh, extroversion, agreeableness and neuroticism, which is the, either the ocean traits, big five, Right, all, uh, they have different names, <laughs> uh, how they're how they're addressed. Uh, but you know, one of them is is a, is imagination. That's inside of openness to new experience. Now that can that can uh, bode well for you or or not in order to imagine your 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 future self, and it brings it back to or even your current self. It brings you back to how are you? And this is in my own uh, practice experience: is how do you engage the client? to where they will engage with their own journey. Uh, they have a life journey and finances are a part of that. They may not be engaged with either because they're, and, and I call this in my practice, they, they're having their, their money lead their life instead of their life lead their money. So it's almost reactive. So how do you get them to engage in their life aspirations it's kind of like life-centered planning and all that. How do you get them to engage in their money journey? And a, and a little bit that is about uh, connecting the, connecting with them in a way that, and communicating with them in, in a way that says, oh, okay, yes, I need to go about this journey so I can make better decisions and, and uh, better strategies in order to fund what I need to fund and then that last step was that, which is that implementation part, which is very hard, right? Engage, starting is hard and then implementing is hard. And uh, if you've done that middle part right, which is that client communication and connecting, and you've kind of nurtured them to do the same, which is connect with their present and future selves, then maybe that convincing stage is a, um, a little bit easier. Sure. 
So when you were thinking about this, what, what were your expectations or, or what hypotheses did you approach these research questions with? Yeah, I, I based on the kind of like the theoretical basis of a personality trait so, theory, so to speak, and personality trait uh, five factor is another way of, uh, of saying the, the ocean big five or five factor uh, uh, theory. The, the personality trait theory has a long history uh, of, of being word-based, a lexical-based uh, type of uh, theoretical process. And in short, it says, okay, uh, we've used words from the beginning of uh, you know, human history. So, and, and the words have evolved. And uh, we are connected in such a way that if someone explains a thing, they're going to use certain words uh, that explains that. And if you ask 10 or 20 or 100 other people, they're probably going to use similar words to describe that thing. All right. For instance, if somebody says, OK, describe to me what barbecuing is all about. OK. You know, and they're going to say, oh, OK, uh, you got to get a grill. Yeah, they're going to have some smoke. OK, you got to have some barbecue sauce, going to have some sticky fingers. Right. It's uh, going to have. Uh, you know, so some so some meat that's off the bone or or whatnot. So you know, you're gonna have all these descriptive words, okay? This 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 lexical basis, and pretty much everybody else is gonna have those words too. So um, then you factor analyze those words and see what the ten most or fifteen most common words are, and you can okay, you align that with barbecue, okay? And then when you describe something else, all right, they may have similar words, okay? And now we get to see, you know, how those associate. Okay, so with, with personality traits, it's a lexical basis theory, word based. It has these uh, five personality trait domains. Okay, then there have uh, facet words inside each of those domains, and then adjectives that back up those facets. Okay, so it's all word based. Okay, and uh, many years of factor analysis have gotten it down to you know, probably 10 across each of the, you know, each of the, uh, of the personality traits. Now, do those words, when you describe somebody of openness or conscientiousness or extroversion, et cetera, do those words align or don't align with some of the things you may explain, say like an uncertainty risk. So when we talk about life insurance ownership or long-term care or annuity ownership, okay? When you describe those type of, uh, you know, environments, do the words align or don't align? And that's how you kind of find the associations of the two. See, now that's really interesting to me because, you know, obviously how we present things or, or I guess to, to broaden this for, for a moment, you know, it, the way you present a problem or present a solution just in the, it, it can be the exact same problem, the exact same solution, but two different people can describe it in two different ways and get very different responses from the audience that they're speaking to, you know, whether it's positive framing or negative framing or something like that. Um, you know, I know I, I personally get myself in trouble uh, just because of the semantic overload of, of saying, you know, being neurotic, right? Um, you know, I, when I when I think about that big five trait, and I and I probably overuse it uh, actually in conversation or or as a uh, as an adjective in of itself, because people sort of associate it or have have positive or negative associations with it depending on how they 
feel about it or, or what it means to them. So, you know, what what were you thinking when you were looking at the big five traits and, and sort of the, the words around that and uh, sort of the, the problems you were trying to solve? What did you think you were going to see? Yeah, I, I, I was trying to see, you know, let's give an example, like how does, um, you know, excitement seeking, uh, seeking, you know, how does that align with, with risk? I mean, because then you're talking about uh, risk liking or risk seeking and, and risk averse. How does that align? Okay. If somebody is in it and that I'm going to look off real, real quick. So I have this chart here and we're talking about excitement. So you're talking about extroversion. Okay. Now uh, they also, in extroversion, you also have traits like they're gregarious. Okay. So they're outgoing. Okay. And all that. And what we saw, you know, what's present in the literature is those far as you know those uh trait the extroversion trait and how the literature shows associations with financial behaviors well extroversion is is great for earning money <laughs> all right they tend to have higher incomes you know because they connect with people and they're all that um so that works for higher incomes but how does that work for savings okay those are two different things now they tend to be um, not that all that good savers because they're good at earning the money, but also have a you know lackadaisical you know behavior about saving the money. They may go on impulse, okay. Um, so uh, it may not it may be undisciplined in their um, in their approach to, to to savings, okay. So look at that dynamic. That's just one example, right? Um, uh, and I keep coming back to to the to the to the imagination and the kind of like the fantasy and the uh, using your imagination. There's there's research that shows you know imagination is either can be either good or bad, or uh, connective or disconnective of, of connecting with your future self. Um, uh, you're either imagining your future self or you're dreaming. You know what is that? So it could it could go either way. Um, so, and also too, when I saw about agreeableness, agreeableness has trust inside of it. Okay. Well, we, we, we know that, it, you know, in our industry, in our profession, you know, advisors, there's not much trust there sometimes. Okay. How does that align with engaging in good financial behavior? Um, uh, there, but also the, the domain of agree, agreeableness um, it had a lot of feeling words inside of them. So they really didn't give you any um, uh, kind of uh, direction of making a hypothesis. So when you're talking about, when you see a word like excitement seeing, excitement seeking and extroversion, okay, I can hypothesize that that is, a, that is opposite of risk aversion and, a, and maybe uh, associating with insuring against risk. You got risk seeking, not going well with risk aversion. I was like, okay, well, how does that work? And and and, and many other things too. So uh, those are those kind of examples that I was like, okay, let me hypothesize and 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 see what comes out. Sure. So how did you go about getting the the data for your research? Did you have a, like a big five thesaurus and you walked around and and asked people about their their finances and then used different words or, or how how did you approach this? So personality trait assessment. So luckily for me, there's person there's personality trait assessments inside of big data. And we had what the P 
PSID and all these other uh, large data sets. And the one that I use that's quite popular is the HRS, which is the Health and Retirement Study. And they've been collecting data. Uh, it is a longitudinal study, although I selected just you know one year uh, to, to look at. Um, but they've been collecting data on households for many years. And, and in, I believe, 10 years ago, somewhere around there, what is this, 2021? Uh, it hasn't been that long, but they inserted a personality trait assessment scale in, inside of the study and started collecting that. And it's, in a, it's in the leave behind, actually, is what they call it, a leave behind questionnaire. So uh, these households uh, answer all the HRS uh, questions that are in there. And then after that, they say, okay, we're going to leave this behind. And here's some more questions in different areas like personality trait, uh, stress, anxiety, a whole bunch of other things. So there's a, a psychological, kind of like a money psych, uh, psychology assessment in the leave behind. And then they decide to uh, answer those questions or not. Gotcha. Okay. So then what, what were some of your findings? What did you see when you kind of put the, the data together and, and sort of ran your analyses? Yeah, interesting enough, I, I figured that, well, you know, I hypothesized the direction or association for each one of them. Uh, I, I, I thought there would be um, even more, you know, uh, connection, you know, between you know, or a, association between the traits and these uncertainty risks. Uh, we did get our, you know, the paper did find all three of them, as far as the, the uncertainty risk, right? We have dying too early, living too long, living too sick. So we got long-term care, annuity, and, and life insurance. And again, I want to make a, a quick point here before I share with you about my findings. Uh, many people are saying, uh, well, you know, when I was presenting at conferences or whatnot, they're saying, oh, this is just another paper to sell life insurance or sell some sort of product. No, that's not the case. The case is, is just when you're having a conversation about if somebody shares with you that they like to protect their family uh, from, you know, uh, from early death or say, okay, I worry about uh, outliving my money or I have a, uh, a history of, you know, long ADL deficiencies and all that type of stuff in my family. And I worry about that as well. Okay. How can you connect with them and communicate with them, with them in a way that aligns with their goals so they can do something about it. This is, this is what they're, whether it be, it doesn't necessarily have to be um, in, uh, like a product. It could be, they could self, they could self fund that and all that could, could be, um, but we had to operationalize <laughs> the, uh, the, the uncertainty risk. So that's where we are. So did find that conscientiousness across the board uh, really associated with uncertainty risk. You know, they have words like, uh, and I'm going to read a couple, actually. They have words like competence, okay, uh, uh, dutifulness, achievement striving, self-discipline, deliberation, order. Uh, they're efficient. They're organized, not careless, all right, thorough, not impulsive, okay? These words, when you look at them, okay, if somebody is achievement striving, what does that tell us, okay? financial planning, right? What are we all about? Goals. Okay. You know, a, a, a striving to achieve goals. All right. Uh, deliberation, self-discipline. How do you go about funding those goals? Right. And uh, efficient, organized, not careless. So, uh, you know, that goes about not impulsive. So it tells us something about 
uh, risk aversion to or risk seeking. All right. So how does that makes a little bit of sense about the outcomes that conscientiousness would tell us a little bit about something about each one of the uncertainty risks. So we found in life insurance ownership, for, for example, that uh, conscientiousness positively associates with life, life insurance ownership. And some of those words, okay, when you talk about not impulsive, okay, that, that's uh, risk averse a little bit, right? Uh, when you're talking about goal seeking, see goal seeking across the board can be applied to all of them, right? If, if you're talking about somebody, a, a client sits down and says, okay, let's talk about, or you know, the advisor says, let's talk about your risk management program, okay? And somebody is, is, is conscious in their thought, okay? They have uh, 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 you know, self-discipline, they can fund maybe a solution. They can either fund the goal themselves or fund a, a solution and a product in order to deal with this uncertainty. Uh, uh, they want to achieve goals, all of that. Okay. So with life insurance, uh, a positive association kind of makes sense uh, in, in that regard, and both economically and uh, kind of psychologically with the risk aversion and the, and the risk seeking uh, uh, there, that they're not impulsive. So we, we found a positive association in the life insurance ownership paper. And then when we found as uh, far as annuities, same thing. We found a positive association uh, uh, there. And actually the positive association was across the board um, all, all the way for those same, ex, uh, those same explanations that I just pre uh, presented. So there was no uh, negative association in either, either of the uncertainty risks. So, and that made sense and, there, and it was, and it was uh, consistent. Now in the, um, in the other papers, for particularly the life insurance, we had some negative associations with the other uh, personality traits in particular. So openness to new experience, that was a negative association with life insurance ownership. Uh, extroversion was a negative association. And so was neuroticism. All right, all those were negative associations. That's that's actually really interesting because you know I I could I could see extroversion or openness being opposed to it maybe because life insurance, for lack of a better phrase, maybe is a little stodgy or a little stuffy mm -hmm. um, as a as maybe a financial concept. Um, but neuroticism is surprising to me, right? Because there, there's usually all those connections to levels of stress, stress or anxiety. Um, so, so t tell us more about that. Cause that's a really interesting sort of standout from where I'm sitting. Yes. Yep. And you're right about that too. You know, when you talk about neuroticism, they, uh, here's a word, right? We have anxiety in, in this, in this, in this domain, uh, depression, right. Uh, vulnerability. Uh, so some of these words, moody, okay. There's a, there's another one contented tense. Okay. Not self-confident. Um, so these are, when you're talking about, um, you know, life insurance, you're also talking about valuing yourself, okay? So if you have to, if one has to put a value on oneself, okay, and there's a lot of uh, potential, you know, depression and not self-confident and whatnot, uh, if those things are present, then one may say, well, my life may not be worth insuring, so to speak, okay? So, uh, which, which could counterbalance the anxiety or, 
you know, the, the worry, you know, uh, uh, aspects of neuroticism. So, and, and you make a good point. Some of, um, which leads me to this point. When you're talking about uh, the domains, okay, they're just, uh, they, they, individuals associate higher with one of these domains. We actually have all of these domains in us. It's what do we greater associate with? You know, what is the, what is, what is the, what is the stronger trait? You know, now we can also pull a trait that we don't identify with strongly. Okay. We have a, a, a less relationship with this particular uh, trait. However, we can pull it, we can pull that out of a hat if the environment fits. So that trait will pop up in a short-term kind of environment and then retreat back. And then our, our dominant, uh, one we, uh, you know, have a greater association with will, will still rear its, rear its head there. Right. So I, I say that to say this is that you made a great point about, you know, the anxiety aspect of worry, right. Of neuroticism, right. All this, yet there's another part of neuroticism that may, you know, uh, uh, overtake some of those other facets, intra, intra domain. Sure. Well, so did you find any of your results that were just surprising to you or, or contradictory of your, your entire expectation around what you were looking or, or thought you were going to find as they related to the different types of risk management? You know, I, I thought that agreeableness would, would, would show up uh, with some statistical significance more often than not. Uh, I thought, and 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 because of those words like trust, straightforwardness, okay, altruistic, so altruism, you know, particularly, you know, when you're altruistic, you have some sort of potential philanthropic thought or or caring, or not even necessarily philanthropic. You that's a care for for others. You're you're altruistic. You know, that's like a giving trait, so to speak. And I thought that protecting uh, the the wealth accumulation that one has built up uh, from uncertainty risk would kind of connect well with you know with those altruistic folks, you know, because if you insure if you if you insure your your wealth, then you're transferring a higher amount of that to uh, to to heirs. Uh, or you're having, you know, a giving aspect, you know, many people, you know, use risk management as a way, particularly with life insurance or whatnot, uh, to, or, or annuities, right? Do you joint survivor, that type of thing to want to take care of a, of a loved one. So I thought the, the altruistic trust, I thought that if there were higher levels of trust, if they were, if individuals were, are trusting, I thought they would engage in conversations, advice conversations. I thought they, I thought that would happen there. Um, uh, they had a couple of other ones, uh, sympathetic, uh, you know, sympathy, um, warm. I, I, I thought that I thought particularly with long-term care. Okay. I thought some of these, uh, facets and adjectives would, would, would connect well with some of the themes of these, uh, uncertainty risk protection aspects. So I was surprised that agreeableness didn't show up a lot more. Sure. So I guess what's the natural progression of this research? You know, where does it go from here? Or what's what's sort of the, the next project in line? 
Mm, well, I'm working with I'm, I'm working on one right now uh, that I think is going to be great. But you know, I really can't reveal where it's going. But I because okay. because if if I do, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, somebody may jump on it. But I, I I'm um, I, I'm curious on where these particularly this, these domains, because what, what what folks like to say is, it's like, OK, um, you know, personality traits can potentially change over time. They really don't tell us much. Do they do they tell us whether somebody's going to engage? So you probably need some intervention type of things going on. So there's a lot there's, uh, you know, there's that scuttlebutt going on in the, in the re research. So naturally, the research has to, you know, go to and it, and it has been in, in some research, you know, neurobiology, so to speak, you know, uh, can, can it give us a better, you know, prediction of, of what uh, personalities will do what next? I mean, but that's some, that's in planning itself, right? Where we're, that's where we're advancing anyway is anticipating, you know, can we use who, uh, more about who and what people, who people are, what their values are, and then what their what what their financial aspects are and behaviors have been and are at this point. Can we use that to anticipate uh, uh, future things? Uh, I'm also so that's that's where the literature can go. I'm not necessarily because I don't necessarily have the the resources to go that far. Uh, that's that said, I am curious in where personality trait domains fall in, you know, or uh, fall in other do domains, uh, money psychology domains. Okay. And if we have other money psychology domains like, uh, you know, anxiety uh, or other kind of personality trait type of things like, you know, or money psychology thing like KMSI or, or those things. OK, where uh, uh, we, there's many other stress, a whole, a whole bunch of where do these personality traits fit in those domains? And if they're more acceptable to the, you know, the literary public or whatnot. Uh, then at least we can know where the traits fall in those. And then maybe we can make some sort of interpretation of, uh, you know, what may be far as associations with other uh, financial, uh, you know, domains or environments. So, sure. so it's almost like a cross-reference. It's like, it's, it's to see where, where do these lie in there? And sure. if we've made uh, interpretations or inferences from, personality traits and we made inferences from say anxiety or stress or other money psychology domains then we can maybe now that we have two inferences instead of one individually maybe we can make a better inference sure just just deepening the the field of research that's there yes okay yes so you know you're you have a virtual practice i'm a practitioner most of the people listening today either are practitioners or are going to be practitioners cross your fingers hope they do well in school um <laughs> what what can they do with this research what can they apply with their clients or be thinking about as they deal with real world financial planning cases yeah you know i i, I what i got out of the research and what my future research will 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 help with, I believe, and what interests me is that constant skill set building of, you know, connecting with the client. I, I, and I sound like a broken record, but you have to, you, the, the, the reason, you know, if you can get past the trust barrier, which many folks have with the advisor, okay, then they want to, they want to be able to connect because money is very personal. That's why it's personal financial planning. It's very personal. 
So uh, you have to be able to connect with the person you're working with. Then you have to learn, this is the practitioner now, you have to want to learn more about what that, what the client is communicating to you with their values and needs. I mean, it's, it's all part of the financial planning process, you know, learning your client, all right? Listening well and all that. What they're communicating to you and then what are you communicating back to them? And what are some of the signals that they, that they project of telling you about who they are, uh, what they're about, what they value, okay? Can we uh, better leverage you know, that information in order to get them where they want to go. All right. And that's that last one about the convincing. And the more it is back, you know, it's, it's kind of like the old school K, uh, KYC, right? Know your client. And that was just at a surface level. So, you know, they have, that's another measure of traits. You have surface traits, you know, cardinal traits or cardinal traits. And I think of the other trait, a couple other levels of traits. We, we've moved past KYC to suitability, so to speak, you know, into, you know, learning more about what you should do, not what you can do. Suitability is all about what you can do. That doesn't mean you should do it, right? So now we've moved past KYC into learning all these money psychologies. What can we better learn with our clients? It could be personality. You can, you can, uh, you can have an assessment. You can't assess your clients to death, all right? But you can use some tools in order to learn more about, I use KMSI currently in my practice. And uh, uh, sometimes if the time allows, or if I see the relationship can do it, I may use a personality trait analysis. I wanna learn more about you because some of those things may be either a, a, a barrier to the next move, or we may need to elevate some of those things to, to maximize your next move. So it's just really learning more about those three C's, Daniel. Sure. So this is a question I, I haven't asked everybody who's been on the podcast, but because yours touches the big five and touches personality traits and, and money psychology and whatnot, um, and, and you touched on it just a moment ago, you can't assess your clients to death, um, but you said you use the, the client's money script uh, assessment. Um, do you think that financial planners uh, should be, or, or you know, do you think it's more subjective and optional, but do you think they should be trying to assess their clients on, in some, some assessed or measured way just to, just to get a better psychological understanding of their clients in addition to all the numerical pieces that go into the work? Yes. Uh, yes. Great question. And I do believe so. I do believe so because it gives you some sort of, um, you know, a kind of empirical basis of interpretation because it is subjective. But if you have a lot of, uh, you know, data on a certain thing, then you know maybe you can take these interpretations and put them into practice. Um, it is learning more about it, and I said, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I have a money psychology meeting in my process. Uh, so we get to this after. Okay, you have the little thirty-minute introductory, and then you have the discovery meeting where you get learning a whole bunch. They fill out a questionnaire and all that, so you get the finances. You may uh, ask, which I do. I ask a lot of life-centered questions, life-centered planning questions, and all that. And then, uh, then after that, I have all the information, data, the data gathering and, and the documents and everything like that. Now we need to take a little, a little break, you know, before we, because uh, I'm going to be anal uh, anal uh, 
doing all the analysis on the numbers and all that type of stuff. Let's have a little bit of fun. Let's get organized. Let's let's see how you feel about where we are right now. Uh, maybe you're curious, even you know, the client, to about how what your relationship with money is and where you want it to be and whatnot. People want to learn about themselves, and this is a this is a this is a journey, and it gives the the client and the the planner an opportunity to uh, learn more about one another, but particularly the client to learn about themselves. They're like, ah, you know, I've always wondered about that. Can you tell me more about that? When you get a client to tell you, can you tell me more about that? I've always wondered about that. Oh my goodness, that's, you, you, can't, you can't beat that right there, right? And, and having that assessment in front of you, uh, like I say, you can't have multiple, all right? But if you have something in front of you that opens the dialogue, it opens the, the vulnerableness, it, it opens the want to converse, it, 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 that's that engagement. They're, in, they're engaging with their own journey at that point. That's the importance right there. That gets the buy-in, Daniel. So when we, when we know more you know, about these you know, money psychology areas or the motions or the behaviors about money, okay, that's when we get that natural buy-in from the client and then that what makes the financial journey uh, and an increased probability for success. Well, I think an increased probability of success is what we're all hoping for. Uh, Dr. Cherry, I want, right. to, I want to say thank you for uh, coming on the program today. It was really great to learn from you. Yes. Thank you, Daniel, for having me. Having fun. <laughs>